Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. Your number's still 911. License to Talk is sponsored by Charlie's Boatyard, 1111 Vermin Boulevard. They are distancing and delivering great product and great service. Check them out right on the shores of Lake Erie. First in Buffalo, 391 Abbott Road, firemen owned and operated. Check them out on Facebook, Instagram. They'll give you great product. Get your custom gear at First in Buffalo and get your License to Talk gear at First in Buffalo, Marky. All this shit is going. 716-207-9210. Bob's Barbershop. Closed on Wednesdays. Bottle Rocket Beer Reserve. 2182 Seneca Street. They're stocked. They're ready to rock. Great product over there. Get over there and support a local establishment. Bottle Rocket Beer Reserve. You got to see the action there on Seneca Street. Mr. Submarines, 1977 South Park Avenue. They got the best ham sub in town. And check out that Chevetta's Pizza. Very good. Mr. Submarines. Good Speeds Beverage Center, 202 Seneca Street. Check them out. They got everything you need. Nice and nice cold. And they got those splits you could chug there, Marky. Good Speed Beverage Center, 2202 Seneca Street. Vinyl Vibes Buffalo. Check them out on Instagram. They're all over the place. Get your stickers. That's where we get our stickers from. Vinyl Vibes Buffalo. Dog Ears Bookstore and Cafe. 688 Abbott Road. Stop into the cafe and bookstore to enjoy a welcoming hometown atmosphere where you can get your license to talk stickers, Mark, all while supporting their programs that spread creativity, literacy throughout South Buffalo and beyond. Don't get your coffee from Timmy when you can get it from Tommy. All right, speaking of Tommy, we had Tommy on a third mic, and we were joined by a very interesting guest this week. I didn't think that we had the chops to talk to this guy, but he was just so uh, so normal, you know, a, a big-time uh, rock star. Paul Mazurkowitz, he's the drummer of Cannibal Corpse, Mark, and check them out on it, get their merch or whatever, support a local guy. He's from Buffalo, the drummer. We go from anywhere from being a headbanging hockey player to doing drywall into what Seneca Street used to look like. And then you got to wait till the end, Marky. A story about Cher. Unbelievable. So these guys, they're a hardworking band. Even if you're not into this type of music, and boy, did these guys just say, we're doing our thing and everybody else can yeah, fuck off. They don't care if you like it. The whole world loves it. So, you know, it's great stuff. Sit back and enjoy an interesting story here this week with a guy that just said, fuck it, we're doing it our way, and we're going give it, to give it our all, Marky. Yeah, what a start to year three. July 13th is a big day. This is the, this is the day, our third year. Third year, three years, and uh, we got some interesting guys coming up, so stay tuned. But first, episode 50 with Pauly Mazurkowitz. Enjoy. 
All right, we're ready to go. All right, Marky, episode 50, we're joined here by the drummer of Cannibal Corpse, Paul Mazurkowitz. Paul, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. And you're down in Florida. How's everybody doing down in Florida? Oh, not too bad. Yeah, down in old uh, Tampa, Florida, and, uh, you know, hanging in there, you know, amidst all this crazy chaos, you know? Mm-hmm. We're also joined on the third mic today with L2T alumni Tom McDonald. How are you, Tommy? I'm doing good, boys. I'm happy to hear, be here hanging with my uh, my longtime friend, Paulie Mazurkowitz. We've been friends for, geez, Paulie, what do you think, 35 years? <laughs> yeah, something like that, Tom. It's crazy to think, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. West Seneca hockey. So well, let's, that's right. So let's start there, Paulie. You're a, you played hockey with Tommy, big headbanger on skates. Talk about the early uh, life of Paul Mazurkowitz in what, as a West Seneca wing. <laughs> I know it's, it's it's crazy to think that it's been a long time now. Um, you know, thinking of those days, and uh, I was trying to recollect a little bit, knowing that we'd probably be talking about this kind of stuff. And uh, I know to think it's what uh, mid eighties, you know, 83, 84, 85, 80, you know, six around there. And uh, it's uh, you know a great time in life, of course, at that point, you know, when we're just teenagers and uh, having a grand old time, you know, playing hockey together. And, and then of course myself being, uh, you know, really just starting to get into uh you know, the music scene, I guess, uh, a lot more uh, heavily at that point, you know, being, um, you know, like you said, a, a, you know, what's 15, 14, 15, 16 year old and, uh, and, and, and music, of course, becoming very important to me at that point in my life. Um, I, you know, I started playing hockey like most Buffalonians do when you play hockey, of course, you're starting at a young age. And, um, uh, you know, I started playing, I guess, when I was like five years old and, um, uh, you know, that was my first passion and I, I still love it to this day, of course, and play as much as I can, but, uh, you know, but, but, but music really started to take over my life a little bit more. So around those times when, uh, you know, what I was playing with in West Seneca with Tommy and all that. And, uh, and, and, you know, soon after that, of course, you know, uh, becoming a, a drummer and, and, you know, starting a band, but, uh, but man, just great, great times, great memories. You know what? What I can remember, <laughs> since like I said, it's so long ago, hard to pull out a lot of stuff. But uh, you know, but it was just funny looking back, and uh, you know, I think I was pretty much. I mean, there was a few metalheads uh, happening at that time in hockey, but but I I would think I was more of the the, the most you know kind of stood out. Uh, you know, the, the guy, the the kid that was probably into some of the more extreme forms of metal at that time, whatever you'd have extreme for metal in you know, the mid eighties, which wasn't, wasn't too extreme, not like it is today. Um, but man, what a, what a, what a great time, great, uh, great friendships we had and, you know, going to tournaments and, and just having, uh, you know, fun because of course, like, yeah, you know, being uh, teenagers like that, we're starting to dabble in, you know, like, uh, you know, partying a little more, drinking a little here and there, of course, you know, uh, it's crazy to think that we got away with some things that we did get away with, um, you know, back then, but, but man, what a great, great period of uh, time in, in our lives and my life. What kind of bands is a young Pauly Maz uh, listening to back then when he's getting into the music scene as a young drummer? 
Well, um, you know, I was always a fan, of course, of, of rock and roll. And, you know, you, you, it's crazy to think that, um, you know, Tommy and I, and you know, if you're around that time, you're growing with that whole, the heavy metal kind of scene, I guess you would say, you know, um, back in, um, I mean, my first, my first band, uh, was kiss like most, uh, most young boys, I guess at that point, if you grew up in that time, you know, and, and, and that was the first concert I ever saw in 1979. I saw kiss, kiss dynasty tour in, uh, at the odd, and, um, you know, changed my life, of course. And, and Kiss changed my life. It really, you know, pushed me in that way of, of wanting to, you know, to just loving music and wanting to maybe be, become a musician. And I was, I was just totally captivated and, and I lived it. So, so, but you're right. You know, you're talking 79. What do you have in 79 in the, in the kind of, uh, scheme of heavy music? You don't have a lot per se, you know, um, and it started coming up then, right? Bands like uh, Iron Maiden are, are, you know, coming out. Uh, uh, Judas Priest is starting to really come into their own. They've only been around for a few years at that point. But, of course, you got, uh, you know, them that are really starting to, you know, make a big impact in the scene. And and you got this kind of crazy kind of new form of music, I guess, which ended up call, uh, be called uh, thrash metal, you know, when you have bands like uh, Metallica coming out in the early 80s. And that was a huge, another huge influence for me. Um, um, back in 82, 83, I think 83 is when the first album came out. And I remember, you know, hearing that for the first time and just being like utterly blown away because what is this new, you know, this isn't, this isn't Iron Maiden. This isn't Judas Priest, you know, Black Sabbath. It's not the bands that you're used to hearing. This is, this is taking heavier music to a complete new level here, you know? Um, so, so those bands, of course, Metallica and, you know, eventually Slayer a couple of years later really, really took over my, you know, my, my musical scope, I guess I was, uh, that's the kind of music I was gravitating toward that really aggressive heavy metal. So, uh, a funny story back, um, uh, uh, in 85 and, uh, when, uh, when Metallica, when I, Finally, when I saw Metallica for the first time at the at the Sky Room um, in uh, what is that? Is that still West Seneca or South Buffalo? I guess near Tommy, Tommy, Tommy Seneca Street. Yeah. Seneca Street, and right. you know what? It's lofts. It's like little rich, oh, rich oh, condos. Yeah. yeah, and like I'm a huge yeah. historian when it comes to the Sky Room. So yeah, that's crazy to think. I mean, and we I've seen so many shows there actually. Fast forwarding, uh, Cannibal Corpse ended up playing the, the 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 closing of the Sky Room. I guess it was like in '91, wow. but um, in '85, seeing Metallica play there uh, during the January blizzard that we had, another um, another West Seneca alum that I actually went to the show with, Jack Stressing, a oh, good well, friend of Jack ours, and, and Tommy McDonald. <laughs> right, we. Uh, I, I remember we ended up, me and another friend of mine, uh, Dennis, we all went to the show and that, that was pre us being able to drive and have our license and all that. We had to get rides by, you know, whomever. I remember we had, we had to get a ride from a friend of mine's parents, but we, everybody got stuck. If you remember, you know, if, if there's any recollection of that, uh, you know, that storm and yeah. that show, um, that people got stuck. I, I know people, the fans got stuck in like a local supermarket or convenience store. But Jack Stressing actually lived like away from the Salty Dog there, and I remember him and my friend walked to his walked back house, and we got stranded there for three days. 
um, because we couldn't leave and we couldn't get picked up by our parents. And I didn't live that way in Orchard Park and all that. And, uh, and I'll, I'll never forget that. That was such a, an amazing concert to see. And then, uh, and then the after effect there being stuck there, uh, because of the blizzard was, was just unbelievable. But, uh, you know, that's a crazy story to, to think back on for sure. And, yeah. and the stressings, Mr. and Mrs. Stressing were just amazing people. Right? What was that? I'm sorry, Tom. Uh, the stressings, Mr. and Mrs. Stressing were just great people, aren't you know? Oh, yeah. Great. Though. Great, great people. Great, great family. Jack is a great guy, of course. Still talk to Jack. I'm sure you do. I yep. uh, talk to him every now and then. Um, and, you know, great, great people. Exactly. So we we're we we're very fortunate that they they hold us up there at, uh, you know, their house there for a few days and uh, very hospitable. And, uh, and it, was, it was an amazing time. But, yeah, great, great people. Where are you buying your music? I If I... I did my research here. I I keep seeing cavages. Is that where you bought the 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 heavy metal music? It probably wasn't easy to find, was it? Yeah, not really. Cavages was one of them. That was the more, I guess, commercial record store at the time. You know, where I believe there was one in the at the McKinley Mall when that finally opened, which I think wasn't till like towards the mid mid 86 80 somewhere around there and i think there was a few cabbages there might have been one at the seneca mall as well um and but there was another um a, a, there was a and i don't know why i cannot think of the name of the record store there was one kind of downtownish, like off of franklin like allentown area um and i you know, the lakeshore record exchange i think is what it was called and they they really I remember going there a few times because they were specializing in definitely getting maybe, uh, you know, some different releases, some import releases that maybe cabbages wouldn't have got. Um, so I remember us going there quite often to, you know, to hear the latest, whatever, just to kind of go just, you know, we knew we'd find something and that's how exactly you bought things back then was on word of mouth. Or I remember buying so many albums you know, in the mid eighties around that time where we would just go and we would see an album cover and we'd look and go, wow, look at that cover. That's just, oh, wow, that's evil. Or that's what a cool piece of art, man. Look at these guys, look at the song titles, let's buy it. And then it ended up being a band like uh, creator, which became a big influence for us. And they're still around to this day, a German thrash band that became very popular in the scene, you know? So that's, um, how a lot of it was done back then, of course, you know, word of mouth and just really going and, and taking a chance, you know, I mean, more, more than likely we found something we liked, but you know, a lot of times, you know, maybe you didn't, but that's how you did it. So, but yeah, Lakeshore record exchange was a big one. And, and like you said, yeah, cabbages as well. So those were the days. Yeah. And you, and you yeah, talked about like were. just having great people around, like, what was it like with your family? And like the first time someone told you to cut your hair and you're like, nah, you know, Tommy was telling us that you put the SK helmet on. I will tell you that that would nah would not be a typical Polly response. It would be fuck you. <laughs> you know, Polly, Polly, cut your hair. Fuck you. Right? Because Polly, yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> you're right, Tom. It was funny because obviously, as a kid growing up, you know, you're not allowed to. I was never allowed to, you know, say 
you know, grow my hair, I guess. I mean, back then, I maybe maybe the hairstyles because of the seventies at that point, they were a little, maybe a little longer, I guess, for when you look at the old pictures of your parents and my dad, you know, it didn't have long hair, but you know, I mean, it wasn't like a crew cut he had, like he was still in the air force or anything. So, so I always had kind of a bushy hair and it was never like, short but of course it was shorter than it than it became but i guess when i the older i got and the more into the music i got well my idols are you know they have long hair you know i think that you just gravitate towards that as a as a, especially a heavy metal musician um or a fan of it that you want your hair to be like them you know you want long hair so i remember my parents um you know, luckily, I, I look back and luckily they just gave me the freedom of, you know, I think they always thought, like, what the heck is he into here? You know, what kind of music is this? You know, I mean, this is not music that uh, obviously they, they ever heard. No one did at the time. But, you know, they it's not it's, it's not like they're listening to this and going, oh, I understand. They they don't, you know, um, but they were, you know, they gave me that freedom um, to be able to you know pursue the bands I liked. They knew I was a good person, all that. So it wasn't like I was up being, uh, you know, uh, bad in school and being some delinquent or anything. So, but of course, my mom, I remember, never wanted me to, you know, I, I wasn't able to have my hair long until I was able to, I guess, maybe like 16 or something, maybe something like that, where, you know, they, they allowed me to, okay, like grow it out. Or it might even have been later than that. It might have been, you know, maybe 17, almost 18 when I'm out of high school kind of a thing or about to get out of high school. Um, but right. I always wanted long hair, you know, and then, and then if anybody said anything exactly like Tom was saying, you know, it's like, man, you know, I, I can't wait to have this not long enough. You know, I mean, if I had, if it was long at that point, it was, it was never long enough for me, you know? Um, so, uh, but it's funny that Tom mentions that, or you guys mentioned, because I remember the only person that really ever gave me, you know, if I'm going to hear anything from the guys at hockey, you know, it's always in, it's in good fun and all that. But I, I'll always remember my grandfather used to ask me. He 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 just couldn't understand it, of course, being a World War II guy and you know and all that. And I got long hair. I mean, that's just you know you don't do that. And he always offered me like 500 bucks to cut my hair. You know, when I got a, when, I, when I got a little older, and I was like, uh, no, I'm not even gonna think about it you know and back then of course five hundred dollars would have been a lot of money you know to a you know to a teenager or late teen and uh and i i never took them up on that offer but uh you know but it but it was funny then uh you know then i had long hair my whole life you know so uh it became part of me and uh you know i think everybody you know that knew me and you know in the latter years like you know 20s 30s and all that my hair was you know, really, really long for, for having a curly bush, you know, so, so it became, becomes part of you, but right. If it wasn't for the heavy metal, you know, and the scene and all that, and the bands I loved, I, you know, I probably wouldn't have wanted long hair, I guess, but, you know, never really gave it too much thought otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Also like being a drummer, like when your parents are like, all right, I'm going to get you a drum kit and then you're just smashing. Right. Like, like <laughs> oh, oh man, like starting out, like they got to have some patience there. Right. Oh, that's it. I mean, I'm so glad, right? It's it's the it's, uh, uh, patience enough to just let me listen to this kind of music in my bedroom, you know, and, and poster my walls and all that, and to listen to some crazy, you know, devil music, maybe what they kind of considered or my mom would have probably. But, uh, but yes, for them to actually go, wow, you know, allow me to buy a drum set. I'll remember my mom drove with me uh, to get my very first drum set. I started when I was a little late. 
um, I guess I look back, you know, a lot of, you know, kids or, or drummers or musicians may start when they're young, like we did with hockey, but I was never that kid, you know? I mean, I, I didn't get my first drum set till I was like 16 years old. And I remember driving with my mother, we bought a, I think it was in the swap sheet. We got it. We got a swap sheet, you know, all right, we're going to, you know, I want to buy a drum set and they're all going to allow me to get one and all that. We found one pretty reasonable and all this. And, um, I remember my mom and I went in my mother's Pinto and we got my first drum set. <laughs> I don't know how the heck we fit it in there. Not that it was a huge kit, but it was a double bass kit. Um, and, um, we went and got it and I set it up in my, in our basement and I'm, yeah, uh, I'm, you know, looking back exactly. I was very, very lucky and fortunate and, and thankful that they were, uh, you know, would allow me just to bash on these drums, you know, at given times. And, uh, you know, I did it, you know, I never did it uh, like at late at night or anything like that. But the fact that I'm sure there was many a times where I'm downstairs making this God awful noise and they're upstairs going, what the heck did we do? <laughs> so, um, uh, I'm so grateful that they allowed me to, uh, you know, to pursue my my dream and my passion at that point. So that that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Talk about the evolution of the early bands up until the formation of Cannibal Corpse in 1988. What, what are what are you guys playing? How does it how did it happen? I know it is crazy to think back of those days. I mean, you know, like I said, when you're such a fan of music, I be, it became my religion basically, you know, in the mid eighties, um, when I'm just really a fan of the music and it, but it becomes, you know, your passion, right? You're living heavy metal, even though you're not a musician basically, you know? So I remember my friends, I went to Orchard Park, you know, school system in Orchard Park and, um, you know, a couple of my really good friends, you know, you, you, you find people that like what you like, you know, and then of course they become your friends and that's, you know, somebody else that, uh, is, uh, following your dream or want to do what you do, or, you know, it has the same exactly believes and, and likes as you do. So, so that's, uh, you know, the, the people I kind of gravitated towards more towards school, uh, you know, became my friends. Um, but, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll never forget um, probably, yeah, when I was 16, like I said, when I got the first drum set of going, that's when you finally wanted to do it for yourself. You know, you, you weren't content enough just making, uh, listening to music, you know, you wanted to you know, play it. You wanted to at least, or give it a try, you know? Um, and I remember, you know, we were having a meeting with my friends and a couple of the guys ended up being in, in Cannibal Corpse, but, uh, you know, like when we first got our instruments, Hey, I'm going to get a drum set guys. I want to play drums. You know, all right. The one, my other friend wanted to play bass guitar. You know, I'm going to get a bass for Christmas. I'm going to ask my mom, you know, my, and then another friend, uh, you know, Hey, I'll be the singer or whatever, you know? So, so basically just started out by uh, uh, my good friends and our love of the music so much that we wanted to just, you know, do our own thing and start a band, you know? Um, and we had that passion and that will, I always say, if you have, you, you know, if you, you have that will, you'll find a way. And that's what we did because none of us were really formally trained or anything. I think at the time, our, our the guy that became the bass player, maybe have taken, he took a few lessons and all that, but I've never taken one drum lesson in my life. Um, wow. I was just strictly going by my passion, by my drive of just wanting to emulate the, what I'm hearing and, and the bands that I love. Um, so I just, you know, I, I just banged away and, and, and we, you know, started, uh, you know, covering songs, I guess, that we, that we were able to because we weren't very good, you know, and we were just starting out. 
Um, so luckily, everyone else's parents kind of had that same like kind of thing that my parents did. They allowed us to do it. I remember we played in my the first incarnation of me playing. We played at my in my basement because right, I'm the drummer, and it's a lot easier just to keep the drums, of course, where they are yeah. than moving them anywhere. You know, so we we ended up playing at, in my basement for a little bit. But then I remember we moved to our bass player's garage for a little bit. And then a little as we progressed, I remember we ended up at our guitar player's uh, a house because he had a decent room that was able to you know sustain you know the band a little bit or the the, the equipment more so than just kind of you know in the middle of the basement of my parents or you know what have you um, the family room down there. So, um, but it was just our love of of the music and wanting to create and wanting to you know to to emulate our heroes. So. So it just started from there, and then you're just doing it all the time. Every waking minute you have, you're playing. I remember, um, you know, because I was set a late starter, so it wasn't like, uh, I think I was like a junior in high school, basically. So, you know, right, when you're done from school and you're working and all that, you'd go and, and, and play a little bit. And then, and then a couple of years later, after you're out of school, I, I, I was doing drywall finishing as my job for, for about five years, but that, that, I, I remember that's all I did. It was go to work, get home, eat, and then go, go to band practice and then, and do it again, do it again, do it every day. That's what, that's all I did because that's all you wanted to do. So, so it just, uh, it, it became your life, you know, and, uh, you know, luckily, uh, good things have happened to me over, I guess, over the years to be able to be in the position I I'm in and the, you know, the band we became and, uh, you know, the things we've accomplished. So, so it is, it is crazy what you can do with just, uh, you know, having that passion and that will to, you know, to want to do something, you know, you'll find that way. Yeah. Cause I don't think that you guys chose a very easy, uh, style of music to play. I mean, that's like taking classical and then learning it at like 20 times the speed, you know, like, you didn't start you weren't starting at the low level you were like okay let's take it to 100 right i mean i guess the good thing about it for us for the when like i said the starting of the music there was those bands that i was saying metallica and slayer so we tried to play those bands but we tried to play maybe their their slower songs per se because you know we we knew we wanted to kind of get to that point of just all out aggression right away but you know you have to kind of start somewhere so so i think luckily we had that um, because of the period we grew up in and started that we had a little bit and, and coming from our background of, of really rock and roll, you know, and, and just basic heavy metal. So we were able to, um, you know, to kind of ease our way into it a little bit. I mean, it's crazy to think of kids nowadays where you got like, you know, young drummers or young musicians that can go on YouTube and they want to immediately start playing so fast and hyper, you know, I mean, I'm sure you guys know how, how crazy the music is these days and how fast and extreme it is. And I hear some of this stuff and go, my God, that's insane. That makes us look like, you know, like child's like uh, <laughs> in comparison, you know, um, but, uh, but right. I mean, you know, it is, it is, it is, uh, it is funny to think that exactly we we didn't want to just rock out and groove out and play simple music i mean we wanted to uh, you know play this aggressive music that has a lot of uh, you know stamina and speed and you know and that's what i guess i did luckily for me i think um, i was always an active person growing up you know, right hockey kept me active and i was always on the go and i was always physical so so it, it kind of made sense i guess for me to want to play drums that way too 
you know. And, um, you know, growing with the scene like that, we had, you know, all this, all, all that, um, uh, you know, the bands, like I said, that just, you heard another band and it was something different. It was something new because we're growing with that scene, you know, every year. It's, it's crazy to think of that short window we had in the eighties where the musical scope and the, and, and you know, the, the genres just, you know, like, right. You got 1980 to like 87, to six, seven years, eight years. Look how much is, was, was it progressed and changed, you know, and we were just growing with that. So we were constantly changing, you know, um, so, uh, and then we were just constantly pushing ourselves. I just remember always trying to be faster. That's all we would do in the early days. It'd be like, man, I'm playing as fast as I can. I'm doing it as long as I can. Oh, okay. Well, we got to do it more. We'd all push each other in those ways, the guitar player, uh, bass player, you know, just to want to, to ramp it up. And, uh, and, you know, so you just worked on that on a, on a daily basis. And then, you know, hey, you know, like double bass, you know, right. You know, I can't do that. Well, you know, we've we'll, we'll got to play it you got to practice it you got to do it all right every day would you know, be able to you know hold it out a little longer play it a little faster you know and then before you know it you're going wow i'm, I'm kind of doing it so um but yeah i mean um yeah we could have uh we could have been into easier music i guess but, but it wouldn't have been me it definitely wouldn't have been me for sure well that's good in 1988 cannibal corpse is formed uh you come out with eating back to life that's your first album how how long did it take you to get that and talk about what happens next? Uh, oh wait, we got to make another album. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. It, oh yeah, man. It's crazy to think of this whole the, you know the progression of our band of Cannibal Corpse. I mean, everything happens so fast. I mean, when like I said, when you're looking at when I when I got my first drum set at 16. You know, I, I'm 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 just bashing away for the first time here. I, I I don't have any musical background or experience, or you know, I wasn't in the school band. I you know all that. I'm starting from scratch basically at that point. And four years later, I'm recording "Eating Back to Life." You know, at 20 years old. I mean, that's just like insane to me. You yeah. know, thinking of that. Um, and um, but but right when we formed and everything i mean we obviously had a couple of bands our first bands and everything you know um we had the one band i'm sure you guys know tyrant sin yep. where that was the the first incarnation of like my friend rich that played bass like i was telling you about and and actually chris the original cannibal singer was involved in that project we were good friends hanging out we, we uh, bob Rousset, the original guitar player from cannibal went to uh, our uh, orchard park high school we he was a senior we were a junior we found out about him he became our guitar player so tyron sin was born around 87 ish um 86 87 right when i was getting out of high school basically and we were only obviously a band for what two years at most because come um you know the falling apart of that band yes in december of 88 cannibal corpses formed you know um so I, right at that point i've only been playing drums for a couple three years at this point and yet here we are we have a few shows under our belt we played in the you know a, a bunch of bars in buffalo and you know we're in the scene so to say and um you know, Tyronson was you know, fairly popular for, for the thrash metal that was happening at that time. And Buffalo had a great upcoming scene at that, at, at that time as well. Um, but yeah, you, uh, when, when Cannibal Corpse was formed, I mean, you know, we, we, we didn't, you know, we're just, it's just another extension. The way we looked at it, of kind of Tyrants in the next step up. Okay. Well, here we go. You know, it's half the guys in Tyrants in, got a couple other guys from beyond Beth, uh, Alex Webster and Jack Owen, 
And, um, you know, we're, we had no expectations. I mean, it's just, you know, you want to play music you love. And I think that's what's, what was great about and what is great about death metal and the heavy metal for the most part, especially that extreme metal like that. Right. We're not doing it because it's easy money or it's easy or we're right. We're, we're wanting to be famous or rich or anything like that. We're just doing this because we love to do it. That's it, you know, plain and simple. It's our passion and we want to play this music, you know. And if you're along for the ride and you like what we do, great. We'll hop aboard. And if you don't, we don't care. You know, we're not playing right. for the masses. We're playing for us and for the few that, you know, are into this at this point, you know. Yeah. Was um, that like the forefront so, of it? Like, was that? Yeah. Because yeah. you think about like, was it, was it, we're just doing it harder than they're, they're doing it. Come and see us. We're doing it harder right. than they're doing it. And you just keep pushing the limit of that. Is that the appeal? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, totally. Because, um, like I said, the whole scope is changing. I, we, we'd hear a new band and they would be playing, you know, like a new band came out with a new album and they'd be playing faster than the last band or just, you know, heavier or, or whatever, more intense. And that's what we wanted. We just wanted that intensity and, and we wanted to take it to the next level. And we, so we were growing with the scene, of course, you know, I mean, uh, if you know, obviously death metal wasn't technically formed until around that time when cannibals started around the late 80s early 90s because it was more considered thrash metal and it wasn't as, as intense as an extreme as death metal ended up becoming you know so we're part of this whole movement of like kind of creating a genre here um but we just wanted to um you know, we just wanted to play the music we loved. So when Cannibal Corpse was formed, it, we're not forming it just like we formed a band. It wasn't like, hey, we're going to form a band and we're going to tour the world and we're going to be rich and famous or anything like that. It's no, we just want, we're, we're, you're thinking of the next song. You're thinking of going to practice. You're thinking of playing the next gig locally, you know, and getting, you know, hopefully more fans into it. And, and that, and that's all your, your expectations are, you know, of course it's always in the back of your mind. Wow. Wouldn't it be great to be like, you know, Metallica or, or Slayer or, or Kiss where, you know, you, you're, you're adorned and you're out on tour and you have an album out. I mean, that's just amazing. That'd be great. But, but we're not thinking outside the box like that. We're just, we're, we're not being unrealistic because we know, you know, uh, we we we'd love for that to happen, but we're but that's not our our goal and not our pursuit, you know. Um, and that's what I'm saying. Everything happened so fast because when Cannibal Corpse was formed in December of of '88, we made um, you know we we got together and it was uh, having these two other guys, like I said, Jack Owen and, and Alex Webster, and they brought a little bit different element to the band. And you know we had a couple of different guys, different you know uh, ideas and you know, different ways of thinking, which was, you know, it just meshed great with us. And um, we wanted to keep this on the scene, like both bands were at the time. And uh, I remember we got a gig opening for the band Dark Angel, which was a huge influence for us. They had like three albums out, I think, at the time. And they were just an amazing, fast, thrash band that were just a very big influence for for all of us as musicians. And um, we got an opening slot on that gig um, for our first uh, show. And um, I guess it would have been in March of 90, or I'm sorry, March of 89. And um, so we were only Cannibal Corpse for a few months, and we got this gig of, in March of, of, of 89. And, and we just thought, hey, man, we knew this was going to be a huge gig. We're playing at the River Rock Cafe um, off of what? It was that hurdle over there. And, uh, yeah. 
I, I can't remember where that was, um, but um, but it was it was a hot spot for bands. We played there with Tyrant Sin and everything. It wasn't a huge place, but we knew that Dark Angel was going to pack the place, and and we were just excited to be. Wow, this is going to be our first show. We're going to be playing in front of a lot of people. Hey, we need to make a demo tape. You know, let's just we got some songs written, of course. You know, because if we didn't, we wouldn't be you know playing the show. So I remember us. Our mentality was, well, hey, let's just go in and and book some studio time real quick we'll record this couple songs that we have you know and then of course it'll be a great thing to sell at the at the show a lot of people are going to see us and 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 that's what we did we made our i think it was a five song demo um and uh, when we played that show we had the demo tape ready and everything and we opened the uh the bill with uh, a few other bands played baphomet attack i think there was a couple maybe one other band and and dark angel and i remember it being a packed house 450 people were there it was an amazing time for our first show and all that and i remember us selling a, you know, a bunch of demo tapes and all that and uh and it, it just took off from there i mean that was what march of 89 and i'll remember we signed our metal blade recording contract in july of 89 Wow. You know, it was like, yeah, it was, it was like, what is going on here? I mean, you know, we make a demo tape just to kind of get to the masses in Buffalo here. And of course, you know, you do some trading and, you know, you, you'd love her to get, to get worldwide uh, acknowledgement or through the nation or whatever. But, um, you know, we had a, a, a guy helping us out kind of, uh, you know, getting us, uh, putting the tape out to, uh, to record labels and all that, just to see what would happen, you know, why not? Right. And uh, yeah, July of 89, we're signing our record, la- our contract with Metal Blade Records. Wow. And it, I just, I, I remember thinking, what? I mean, you're kidding me. We got a record deal? I mean, this is insane, <laughs> you know? I mean, like, no way. We've only been a band for like six months, you know? And here we are, we got a record. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, it was just, it was unbelievable how everything just moved so fast, you know? So, right, fast forward a little bit, you know, we record that album and we put it out at 90 and all that, and it just took off from there. And, um, you know, we played some shows throughout the East Coast, and um, exactly, we just wanted to keep moving. We were we were a young, hungry uh, bunch of guys that just wanted to get, you know, keep creating and all that. And it is kind of, kind of crazy to think back when you look at the release of the first four records of Cannibal Corpse, it was, what, 90, 91, 92? Ninety uh, up to ninety four, you know. Um, I think we we had like four albums out in like four years or so, you know, five years, um, which is crazy. But that's how much um, you know we wanted to create and how much we wanted just to keep moving and pushing forward. So, so but everything happened ultra fast like that. We didn't have time to blink, and uh, you know, before we know it, we're we're uh, you know a band that's garnering uh, international. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're playing tours, we're going to Europe, all this kind of stuff that we just, we really dreamed of and we thought would probably never, ever happen in our lives, you know? So it was, uh, it's been an amazing ride and, and what an amazing time to think back and how it all started and how it all came together where, you know, it's just uh, a group of guys that just are really just playing for ourselves and wanting to write some heavy music. And then for what it, it be, became is just remarkable to me, still is. So, like, there was a there, there there's a few things that people brought up uh, when I had mentioned that we we're interviewing you. They're like, "Oh yeah, they lost to Baphomet twice in the Battle of the Bands. Like, was that a big thing?" And then, like, did that heal all the wounds when you were like, "Yeah, record contract, no big deal." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I remember. You know, and I I can't recall fully 
that occurrence um, yeah. with them. I remember there was I remember there was always like a little kind of a feud, not a feud. It was like a friendly thing because Baphomet were around before us, right? And they were they were pretty popular at the time. And then we just kind of like came onto the scene like out of nowhere. And then I think, you know, we, we were doing a little bit better than Baphomet technically a little bit, you know? So there was always kind of like this little bit of friendly, you know, kind of, um, you know, a little bit of, uh, Apollo Creed and competition, I guess, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But, but, but the way I looked at it and the way we looked at it, I look at from back then and still to this day, it was just, we're doing our thing, you know? Yeah. You're a team. You're really a team. We never look at it as a competition. Yeah. There's no competition in music. Really. I, we were in a battle of the bands and when we lost people were like, they're like, you were so sore, weren't you? And we were like, no, there's real no competition. If you pack the place, you pack the place. You know, we're having a good time, yep. but like, you know, but it is sort of like, like how, you know, were you, did you feel like you were like a pro wrestler at some point? You know, like you're like, I'm play. were you like playing a character? Was it like, you know, we're going out there and we're, gonna, you know, we're harder and we're doing all this stuff. Was that what it felt like? Or was it like, this is what we're doing? It's just, no, it never felt like that to me. I mean, I think it just felt like it, we're doing what we do, you know? I mean, and I think that's what was great about like death metal because you weren't you weren't out to put on a show, you know. You weren't out to be Kiss or, you know, these other bands that we grew up with. It was it was like you're literally just strictly doing it for the music. And I think that's why death metal became such a a personable personable kind of music with fans because they can relate, you know. They were like, "Man, this these these guys are just like me. We're just going up wearing our jeans and t-shirts, you know, and our sneakers and, you know, we don't have like, you know, stage shows or anything of that nature. You know, you're just going up and playing music, you know." Um, so I think we always just felt as, you know, we're just going to do what we do and that's all you can do, you know? And like I said, if people like it and they're along for the ride, great. And if they're not, then we don't need you and we don't want you, you know, we're just, we're, we're, you know, we're just, we were doing this because we love to do it, you know? Um, so I guess the more it got, you know, popular and the more we were, you know, just, uh, you know, playing shows and going on tours in those early days, you're just, I, I remember just being like, so when we went to Europe that first time, I was just like, this is crazy. People <laughs> we're in Europe and people know who we are and they're going nuts. You know, they're loving what we're doing here. And this is just like insane to me because who the heck am I? You know, <laughs> I'm just this kid from Buffalo that's wanting to play drums in his band, but yet I'm being looked upon as like exactly like I'm some, you know, God or something. And that's just, it was always foreign to me. And I think foreign to all of us because we just wanted to, uh, like I said, just do our thing. And we're just like everybody else out there. We just happen to be in this band and, uh, you know, we're on stage playing this music, you know. When you when you talk about Kiss, now are your album covers your makeup almost? You know what I mean? You're you guys are doing your thing on stage, but your album covers are like iconic and you see tattoos everywhere. I'm sure you've had fans sign their tattoo and then they get it tattooed. Talk about the album covers of Cannibal Corpse. Right. Well, that was the thing with um, growing up, like I said, with with everything changing in that whole in the scope of the scene. Right. You got those early bands like uh, Metallica, where you're seeing a uh, kill them all cover and you're going, wow, that's brutal. Look at that. It's like a shadow of the guy, you know, with the with that with the hammer and a blood you know, splatter. Wow, that's that's pretty, pretty crazy. That's intense, you know. 
And then, and then the next, you know, band Slayer would come out and they'd have a cover like Hella Waits or something. And you're just like, wow, no, a hell scene. It's just, you know, guys are, guys getting ripped apart by these demons and things. So, so everything that we loved and were, were into at that point was always about extreme, you know, and as fans and this, the music we felt just went hand in hand, of course, with the subject matter. And with the visuals that we were seeing with our favorite bands like like Creator and Slayer and, you know, Sodom and all these bands. Um, so, it, it, you know what it did? It, what Really what it came out of is we're still we're fans of this music. OK, now we're 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 involved in it. We're we're a band. We can do what we want. Wow, we're going to have an album out. This is insane. You know, so we can do what we want on our album covers and and and, and portray ourselves visually. All, all the all the album covers ever were were extensions of what you know, like what we wanted to see as fans. Yeah. You know, we always wanted it to be more extreme. You know, like man, it's brutal, but man, you know, not brutal enough. I guess we always felt that. I think in the early days. And when we were able to finally put our own piece of art out, we wanted just to be, it wasn't to like shock anybody because I think we knew our fans and the people that are into the music are going to go, wow, that's amazing, you know? Yeah. And yeah, of course it's going to be, end up being controversial to the people that don't understand it and are not involved in the music scene whatsoever. But as fans of the music, we were like, this is what we want to see as, as fans. We, this is the album that we want to see at this point. We want, we would love to walk in the record store like we used to do and and pick up this album and just go wow look at this oh my gosh look at the look at the artwork read the titles this is insane this is crazy i've got to have this yes of course we knew our parents would hate it because they just weren't (laughs) into it at that time they don't understand they're like why are you that what's going on here you know what why are you why are you guys into this stuff but they just didn't get it they don't understand you know our love of this style of music and everything that you know surrounds it you know um so so really those the covers did become a big symbol of course for cannibal course because nobody else was doing it at that time that extreme you know and we were we had the you know the the balls i guess to say you know what we don't care if it's going to cause controversy or things are going to happen this is what we want to see as a fan of music and a fan of this kind of music. This is what we want to see. So we want to, we're able to do it, but let's do it. You know, let's take it to that extreme. So, so that's basically what we did, you know. And then, of course, they became very iconic in the whole scheme of death metal over the years, you know, and, and, and been synonymous with Cannibal Corpse, you know, like a brutal piece of art like that, you know. Um, but I think we always stress that, you know, we, we, we're not doing it, you know, because we want to get attention and we feel that that's a, that's a selling point for the band. It's just another part of it, you know, because we always stressed and felt that it's the music. It's the music first and foremost, you know, we're, 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 we're wanting to make crazy extreme music and it should be about the music and it shouldn't have to be about, oh, well, look at their artwork, you know, so I just love it because they got great art. No, we want you to love our band because, and our music because of the music, so... So I think it just became a package deal the way we looked at it as being the most extreme in every way possible. So the most so, extreme music mixed with the most extreme artwork and the most extreme lyrics. You know, so so you're, Paul, you talked about like when you when your album covers or when your music comes out, it's just it's for the art, which you know is great. And you say you don't really care what your parents think, but I know I've been to a couple of shows with your dad. I was on the bus with you know hanging out with your mom. 
Um, at what point do your parents like kind of jump on board? I mean, they were supportive all the, the years, but when do they jump on board and say, "All right, it was it was it when you got your first uh, paycheck?" Was Ooh, it, a good you know? question. <laughs> yeah, great, great, great question, Tom. You know because. Exactly. When I first started, they were just like, okay, you know, let him do his thing. I'm sure, you know, and I remember my parents always talked about my dad in particular about yeah, he'll hey, grow out know, of this. fans are dime, fans are a dime a dozen, you know, don't expect this to, you know, to be your career and to make it, you know, you've got to go to school, you've got to have a you know, backup plan and all this kind of stuff. And, but, you know, they allowed me to pursue it. Um, but right. I think they were probably a little shocked when, when I'm telling them, a little? Like, yeah, hey, our band, we have a record deal and we're going to Europe, you know, they were probably like, really? How the heck, you know, who the heck is liking this and buying this stuff, you know, like, okay, all right, you know, so I right, let them do your thing, because obviously at that point, it wasn't as extensive as it is now, you know, we're, we're doing one tour and we're home and then we're working on a new record because there's no more other tours happening. But I'll remember, you know, Tom, you know, you guys, is funny that it, well, a couple of years went by and I, I think they just were not really just, you know, they just still weren't buying it and they still weren't into what I'm doing. I'm sure they saw the album covers like Butcher and Earth and Too Many Mutilators, the first three in particular that are going, what the hell is going on here? This, you know, something really wrong with our son, you know, these guys. Um, but um, I'll never, I'll never forget when, when we released Vile actually, which would have been our fifth album, um, you know, where, uh, where our first with George Fisher and that would have been in what, 96, you know, so we've been around what now at that point, technically a band for what, six, seven, seven years, eight years, you know, and I'll, I'll, you know, and my parents, you know, they, I knew they kind of half supported me. They weren't, you know, they weren't like coming to shows at that point or they weren't really being, you know, probably like, Hey, look at my son's doing to all their friends and everything. They're probably, yeah, they, I don't, I know they weren't at that point, but come 96, come vile. I'll never forget my dad, you know, mentioning to me, Hey, man, I really like that album. And I, I like that song, Converse Suffering. And man, this is, I'm like, whoa, what the heck is going on here? You know, my, my father finally is showing interest in what I'm doing here, you know? And I, I, I'll never forget how, you know, how great it felt, you know, like, wow, that I, that I actually got, um, you know, like the, the support of him. I knew it was there, but to hear it and to have it, you know, him mentioning these things and actually listening to music. And, you know, I, I think he just couldn't deny it anymore, you know, because exactly every year went on and you're right. You know, we're doing more tours. We're, we're doing more things. The album, the band's getting more popular. So, so, um, and then from then on, it was almost like my parents were my biggest and, and were my biggest supporters and, and the biggest fans. Exactly. Tom remembers and he's seen, he hung out with my dad at shows and my mom ended up coming to a lot of shows. My aunt and uncle came to so many shows. My dad, oh my gosh, he went, he's been to countless, he was countless amount of shows, went on tour with me, all that kind of stuff. So, so it was, it was, it was a great thing that they finally, you know, like really accepted it and just put aside anything that they may have had reservations on, like the subject matter and, you know, and things, Hey, they know I'm a good person. They know I'm doing what I want to do and I love to do and I'm being successful at it. So, you know, it is what it is. And we're just going to, you know, not even think about, think about those things, you know? So, uh, you know, the, the, the so-called, you know, write the lyrics and the artwork and, you know, and they're just, they're just loving that I'm doing something and I'm, I'm doing well at it. And I'm, you know, the band's doing well and, and we're succeeding. And, and, uh, you know, so it's great to have their support finally. So, 
And then, Paulie, you end up making it kind of mainstream. You end up in the movie Ace Ventura, which which was which was great because I knew you. I was a kid back then, you know, in the mid nineties, fourteen, fifteen, and I knew Cannibal Corpse was from Buffalo. And you know, you talk about that movie; it was a big movie. And you say, you know, that band's from Buffalo. Talk about how that happened. Oh man, yeah, that's another. That was a crazy scenario, and really a, a great thing that happened for us and death metal. Um, I mean, you know, we had uh, I think Tomb of the Mutilated, our third album. We were just we just finished it. We just it was just just came out, I believe, um, or it was about to come out. And uh, and obviously, yeah, we're talking what ninety two. Uh, 93 so so right death metal's only been around you know for a couple of years but it's really gaining steam in the underground and it's being talked about whether it's being liked by the masses at that point which it really wasn't it's being talked about because it's just it's just such a crazy extension of like a, like we were talking about a thrash metal and just become this this whole thing on it to itself here this this so-called like death metals you know so um you know, like, you know, we did some touring at that point We're we're, you know, we're in the scene, we're doing well, you know, we're, we're one of the bigger death metal bands, of course, you know, there's only, you know, a handful at this point, I guess. Um, but, but Jim Carrey ends up, uh, you know, making it noted, you know, like on a couple of talk shows, I think he was on Arsenio Hall, like really talking about this style of music. Like, man, there's this form of music. There's a couple of bands, you know, that he's really liking and he's finding intriguing. And it's, it's really, you know, piquing his curiosity, like what the heck, you know, I know he mentioned us, he mentioned Napalm Death. I think he mentioned a couple of the bands. Um, but, um, you know, right around that time, then, of course, after that interview happened, I, I we were still living in Buffalo at the time because we didn't move to Florida n- until 94. Um, but I remember we got a call from our record label um, going, hey, uh, we got a call from uh, Jim Carrey's people. He, he wants you to be in his, a movie he's making. And we're like, what the heck is going on? You're kidding us. I mean, we were just like, what the heck? You know, this is crazy, you know. Like Jim Carrey, I mean, and and at that po- at that time, of course, in Living Color was very popular, mm-hmm. um, and Jim Carrey was was popular on that show, of course, and we were all fans of that of that TV show, so we knew of Jim Carrey very well, and uh, we were just like, that's insane, that's that's this is craziness, you know, like so we thought, how's this going to work, you know, Jim Carrey's going to make a movie, well, it's going to be some funny slapstick kind of comedy, and. You know, and we're not a joke. I mean, so, you know, we, we at, at, at first, I think we were a little reluctant, you know, like, well, we don't want to be portrayed as, you know, like we're a joke or anything. We want to, you know, we're serious at what we do here. You know, I mean, I can see people maybe finding humor in it if you're not into the music or the dark humor in the lyrics and all this kind of stuff. But we're serious. But what we do, of course, Um so we were just like, well, we need some more information. We come and we find out that, you know, right now he just loves the music and he wants you to be in this movie, you know. And we were like, okay, well, why not? Seems like a cool opportunity to be in a movie, of course, you know. And uh, and I'll, I'll never forget that we actually, they said, well, okay, well, we're filming in Florida on location down in like Miami area. And here's the time frame. And we were like, oh, man, we're going to be in Europe at that time. You know, we got a we got a tour coming up in Europe, and it's already booked and all that. And um, you know, to us, being in a movie is cool. But we're a band; we play shows, we go on tour. You know, that's what we're doing. That's what we want to do. And we've only been a, obviously a band for a few years, only done a few tours. So we we looked at it as like, 
well, what's more important here? You know, well, us going on tour and playing to our fans is way more important than being in a movie at this point. So we actually had to tell them that, oh man, we're not going to be, we're going to be in Europe at that time. And we really don't want to back out of that commitment we have. And, you know, we basically told them, I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to do it, you know? Um, so it was kind of like, oh, we were, I remember we were like, okay, that was that. We're probably a little bummed that we couldn't do it and we weren't going to do it. But uh, soon after we got a call back going, Hey, um, the director and Jim, they're going to reschedule shooting your scenes around your schedule. You know, like you can do the European tour and all that. And I can't remember if we went before or after that tour, but they moved the scheduling, you know, to accommodate us which we were like, what the heck? This is crazy. Like, okay, well, if they're going to do that, we're in, of course, you know, like let's, let's do it. So, um, you know, so I'll never forget that experience because it was so surreal and so crazy to think exactly here we are just a crazy death metal band teenagers, basically, or, you know, in our young twenties from, you know, we're not part of any, you know, LA scene or, you know, anything like that. Or, you know, uh, we, we, they flew us down from Buffalo and we went to Miami to, to shoot our scenes for a couple of days. And I think we were there for four days and filmed for two days. But when we got there, we were treated like kings. I mean, we met Jim and the director, and, and they were just so elated that we were here. Oh, my gosh, we're Cannibal Corpse. And Jim, I remember him, you know, rattling off lyrics and saying, I want you guys to do Hammer Smash Face and Ramsey <laughs> Amputation. And, you know, and he's, he's reciting lyrics. And we're just sitting here in awe going, we're on location in a movie that and jim carrey's freaking on us here and we're like what who, we're not a joke who are we and, right and, and and but this is just crazy to us you know like wow this it, it yeah it made us go this is insane that that somebody of his stature is is liking what we do and wanting to be to be in this movie you know so um um, you know, we did it, everything. And I mean, and the great thing is exactly everybody knows the outcome. I mean, the movie did so well, obviously, you know, it became a, a hit and, you know, it was, it was cool to be a part of, albeit this crazy comedy movie that at least we were portrayed as ourselves and, and, and that the way they fit it all in and everything. And we could just be ourselves and they just fit in, you know, the, the scene to where it works around, you know, the movie script and all that. But, uh, but the, for the fact that, that the movie did so well, we, we just thought, wow, what a big boost. Exactly. I'm sure people like yourselves, like you said, when you're a young you know, teenager or preteen, you know, you're going to see Ace Ventura and you're going to see this comedy and you're not expecting to see this scene with this crazy death metal band in it. You know? yeah. And we've heard so many people over the years, so many people, man, you, if it wasn't for that movie, I, that's how I, I got into you guys and death metal for the first time. I saw that movie. I was 11 years old. And I'm like, what? What the heck is going on here? And then, you know, they go and buy the records and then they're fans of the music, you know. So it was so key and huge and instrumental of, of pushing, you know, the band up a, a, a notch and, and, and the genre of death metal, of course, because, you know, it, it got into a widespread, you know, uh, populace that wouldn't have maybe sought the band out of this style of music if it wasn't for the movie. So, so what a, what a great thing that it became for, for, you know, for everybody in that, in that fashion. So man, amazing. Yeah. What a, still surreal to think that that happened. I, I still always think I go, well, did we really go down and film a movie you know, with, with Jim Carrey? I mean, that's, that's, that's just not, right you know <laughs> it was a lot like uh like validating sort of and like that had to be cool a little you know, bit kind of cool in buffalo too like 
I always think about bands like there's never anybody that guides you to like the business side of music, you know, like, was that like something that like, you know, you guys were talking or like, I don't even know how this works. And who was the person that, you know, taught you the music biz? Like we, we just, uh, we just lost Bruce Moser around here and I didn't even know. And there's like so many people that are like, this guy pushed everybody forward in Buffalo. And we didn't even know who the guy was, you know, who was the people that were like, you know, validating you guys and, you know, teaching you how to make money and how to, how to do it. Well, I mean, you know, there was one guy in particular, that's how we got our record deal is, um, and, you know, going back to the cabbages thing, when, um, when we, when we first started cannibal and we were trying to be more, you know, of course, yes, a serious band, of course, you know, like in, and, and to, you know, do whatever we can to, you know, promote the band. And when we made that first demo tape, um, we, um, our, our original singer, Chris was working at cabbages actually. Um, and I don't know what he was doing. If he was just like in the back of the stock, I don't think he was like a, you know, like a, on the floor as a sales guy or working the registers or anything, but he's probably stocking whatever he did at cabbage. I don't even remember, but the guy that either ran, there was a guy that ran cabbages or either owned cabbages, but he was, he had some connections in the, in the, in the music scene, because of course he's an older guy involved in music, you know, you own a record store or you're managing whatever you're doing, you know, you know, some people, right. And, um, and I'll never forget his name was John Grandoni. And, um, we basically, right. We're just kids that, you know, all we know is how to make music and maybe, you know, promote a show. We can make flyers and things like that and, you know, whatever. But, but we had this guy, John, help us out getting this demo tape. He was the one that basically told us, Hey, I got some connections. I can, you know, send them to record label. It's kind of acting as like almost like our manager of sorts, you know, um, and the reason why I think we ended up more or less on Metal Blade Records and have been there ever since, when John, I think we sent the tape to maybe 10, uh, 10 record labels at the time that were garnering, you know, this heavy music combat and Megaforce, Metal Blade, you know, there's a few of these smaller labels like that, these independents that were putting out the records that we, uh, bands that we liked. Um, and you know, we send them to those and we never got any response from any of them other than metal blade records. Um, but when we looked further and we knew there was a connection with metal blade records and, and Buffalo, actually Mike Saley is the president of, of not the owner CEO, but Mike, he was second in command. Mike Saley is the president of metal blade records. And guess where he's from? He's from Buffalo, New York. And he worked very closely with Talos. He was Talos's basically manager and roadie, and he ended up being Billy Sheehan's personal manager, and still is to this day. Wow! Um, from you know from Buffalo. So so what ended up happening? John, I believe, knew Mike because of the Buffalo connection. You know, so when Brian Slagle ends up hearing our tape, it was kind of like uh, through the red tape. You know, I'm sure a lot of demos were sent to a lot of record labels at that time, and a lot of them probably ended up didn't get listened to or. You know, but the fact that Mike Faley had a connection with John Grandoni and the Buffalo connection there, I'm pretty sure he, hey, hey, there's this band from Buffalo, Brian, check it out. And then Brian luckily liked the music, you know, and he, and, and, you know, signed us because he really, he'll always say if you read interviews that he, he saw the title and heard the song, A Skull Full of Maggots, and he goes, I got to sign this band, you know, <laughs> um, 
and uh and and here we are with them you know 30 years later but uh but yeah there was that buffalo connection that we had somebody helping us out and then john grandoni ended up being pretty much out of the scene and out of our our lives and didn't be you know wasn't our manager or anything so he helped us get the tape to metal blade and helped us kind of you know get to be heard from them and then he's out of the picture and then you know who really did help us out was our record label exactly you know metal blade were only around for a couple of years at that point and brian Brian's a, you know, a young uh, entrepreneur, Brian Slagle, that's loving music and, and um, you know, kind of getting his label going. And then we became really good friends with Mike Faley and Brian Slagle over the years. And not just in a business sense, as in a personal sense, you know. And really, you know, they helped us out a lot. You know, they helped us out uh, tremendously in those early days, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, in any way possible. Because Cannibal Corpse, it's crazy to think, too. Of all the success we had throughout our career and we were slowly building up and all that, we were self-managed, actually. Wow. We did everything ourselves, you know. Right. We we just felt like, you know what, we're not idiots. You know, we're not, we, we you know, we're learning as we go kind of a thing. But, you know, we can do a lot of this stuff ourselves. And, you know, lo- nothing was too huge at the time. But we basically did everything ourselves with some help of the record label and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it was only, geez, only about 10 years ago now, um, maybe a little longer, that we actually you know, have real management because things were just getting, okay, now, you know, it's getting, it's getting crazier every, every year, every album, all that, it's getting just more, more insane. Maybe, maybe if we do have a real manager can help us out in a lot of ways that we just don't know about and, you know, can, and, 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 and management has, but, but to think for like the first 20 years of Cannibal's existence, we did fairly well for ourselves. We were self-managed, you know? So, right. You're just kind of learning as you go. And, and I think, uh, you know, everybody's learning as they go and and uh you know you just take it that way um so it was it was interesting how that uh, that uh how we went along that ride that way paul when you talk about going to europe i i'm a i'm a metal guy i'm not a death metal guy i'll admit it but europe and japan the passion that these people have over there even south america were you blown away by that at first or were just embraced it and hey here we are Oh, no, we were blown away. Like I said, everything that we did, we were blown away, especially in the early days. All those firsts, I mean, we just never thought that they would ever happen, you know? I remember when we first made that, when we, like you said, signing the record contract, you're just going, you're kidding me. This is unbelievable. This is, uh, like, beyond my wildest dreams. And then when you finally go, wow, we're going to record our first CD. And then when you're holding that in your hand for the very first time, you're going, this is unbelievable. This is just unbelievable. I, I made a CD. I made my mark on the world, you know, my music. And I'll, I'll, I'll always remember and always still think going, if it ended that day, you know, if the band broke up and never did anything, we'd go, wow, we made a CD. We have music that is here forever, basically on the planet, you know, for people to listen to forever, you know? Um, and, and I would have been content with that. Because that's, like I said, that's all our expectations were. They were very, you know, they weren't, you know, looking way in and, you know, being like the band that we became, you know. That wasn't our goal. Our goal was just to be a good band and, you know, write good music. And if good things happen, great. And if they don't, hey, man, we tried and we had fun and we did what we wanted to do. So all these firsts were just, like, insane. I remember going to Europe for the first time when we found out we are going to Europe in 91. Um, for Butchered at Birth then, because we didn't do a lot of touring for Eating Back to Life. And then we do Butchered at Birth, and then, right, everything's just moving along, and we're going, oh my, you're kidding me. We got, we're going to Europe. Like, that is just 
unbelievable to me, you know, unbelievable to all of us that we're going to Europe that, you know, where at that point in my life, I've been to, yeah, I've been to Canada. I've been to Florida a couple of times. I mean, that's it. You know, I mean, you, 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 you only dream of going to somewhere like Europe, you know, like, yeah, maybe when I'm older and I got a lot of money that I saved up from working for years and I go on vacation once, you know, you know, you can maybe see this, you know, Europe or somewhere else. Um, and here we are, you know, as young 20 year olds, um, you know, our, our band is allowing us to go to Europe, you know, for the very first time. And I, I just, I'll just remember being blown away. Right. You know, um, um, you know, being on a bus for the first time and we, we got our own merchandise t-shirts with the dates on the back and, you know, and then, uh, you know, we're, right. We're going to different countries. We're in Germany we're in Holland. We're in Sweden. We're playing all these places. This is, this is amazing, you know? And then, uh, you know, for the people to be freaking out of our band, exactly. It was just so overwhelming. I just remember it being the, we had the time of our life, of course, you know, this is just insane. And it's funny because I was doing drywall up to that point. I mean, most of us were working in the same company, actually, doing drywall um, uh, 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 company in uh, uh, near where I lived in Orchard Park in Hamburg, actually. And most of the band ended up working for this company, which was kind of cool that we all were doing drywall together. And um, I remember telling, I remember having to tell my boss, you know, our boss, I mean, he knew we were in the band. We were trying to do our thing. We're not going to be doing drywall forever. And um we had to tell our boss, hey, we're going to Europe for a tour. You know, all right, I understand. You know, he wasn't freaking out or anything. You know, you guys, it's your dream, you know, and you got to go do it. So, so I, re- I remember going to, going to Europe. We went to, we went and did that tour and it was just an amazing success in, in every way, you know, being here we are for the first time. And we, and, but I remember we made a little money, you know, I mean, it wasn't a lot of money, but we, we made money. Um, and I remember coming home going, wow, we went to Europe with our band and we actually made money. This is, it's just, this is crazy. So I, I, you know what, we got home from, got home from that tour. I remember going, I quit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to be working, doing, I'm not going to be doing drywall anymore. And, and then looking back, it was probably really stupid at the time because it wasn't like we're touring and making a lot of money here. You know, I, I was obviously making way more money doing drywall, but you had that taste of success with your music and you're just thinking well geez what's the possibilities here then you know right i mean if we can go to europe once and make a little money well you know we're just looking like this could be you know this could take off and we could be you know doing this for a living you know and um you know so right i never did drywall again uh, with that company after the fact that i uh you know we all quit basically after that tour and, uh, you know, uh, you know, we, we, we around for a few more years, but then, right. I think when we went to Japan, going there, going anywhere new at that point, I mean, was just incredible, you know, like exactly when we went to Japan for the first time, we're like, wow, we're in Japan. This is, this is insane. We're in Australia. We're going to Australia. I mean, you can't even fathom that, you know? And, um, you know, all those, all those times and firsts we went, you know, and the passion that the people had, I mean, because they're seeing us for the very first time and we're, you know, we're doing fairly well. So it was just incredible. Right. When we went to Japan for the first time and that wasn't until 96, actually, um, it was just amazing. I mean, it was just the press we were doing, you know, do, we were, uh, you know, the in-store signings we were doing. I mean, of course the shows were amazing and, you know, it was just, it was just so surreal because, you know, they're, we're there because of our music and people are freaking out over our music. And, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing places that we never dreamed we'd ever be able to get to. 
all because of us playing some crazy form of heavy metal here, you know? So, so it, it, you know, it's still, it's still crazy in that way to me, you know, that, you know, here we are 30 years plus and we're, you know, we're doing what we do and we've done what we've done. It's still, I still got to always look back and think this is crazy that this happened to me, you know, that this happened to us, you know? Um, obviously the band's different now, but right. in the beginning, five guys from Buffalo, New York that, uh, are just playing some crazy music that we love. And, and here we are, you know, making a living and, you know, sustaining our career the way we've done. It's just insane to me. So you guys remind me of the band Anvil. They were very hard workers. You obviously the, you guys have been around a lot longer than them and more consistent, but you kind of remind me of that Anvil. Did the Anvil ever pop up? on your radar because they, they were like the original metal and then forgotten where you guys are the original you know you're the godfathers of death metal you haven't been forgotten though you know what I'm, I'm trying to say sure sure no we uh there was so many bands like that that probably uh should have deserved a lot more success obviously you've probably seen the anvil movie and all oh, that and, phenomenal um yeah yeah it is it is and you know what we were fans of anvil growing up I mean, there were so many bands at that time, those heavy metal bands like Exciter, especially the Canadian metal, because us being bordered, you know, to them, there was so many Canadian bands that we really loved and thrash bands, Sacrifice, um, uh, Razor was one, um, Exciter, you know, Anvil, we, we loved these bands, you know. And um, I, I remember uh, we had a friend that was uh, that drummed in the band Leviathan that Chris was in. He, uh, uh, Reiner was his, was his favorite drummer in Anvil, and he's a great drummer, and they were a great band. And it, it was unfortunate they did they didn't kind of like you know get the success as some of their counterparts. You know, of course, touched upon heavily on that in that movie. You know, yeah. um, so so you know it was, it was funny because. We we never, of course, played a show with them in the early days, and you know we played a couple shows with uh, the bands I mentioned, well, especially uh, Sacrifice and some of our you know our, our idols that we ended up luckily in the early '90s were able to play with some of these bands. It was such a big deal to us. But a band like Anvil just kind of like you know we never came, we never crossed paths, we never you know until of course that movie came out about them and they um, had a big resurgence, you know? So we ended up playing uh, more recently within the last like five, six years, seven years, we played some festivals with them, with Anvil. Still never met any of the guys, still never talked to any of the guys, but I remember we we played uh, that 70,000 tons of metal with them at the cruise. And we did a couple of big festivals in Europe with them. And man, what a, what a great band, you know? I mean, they're a great, great, great band. And I, you know, um, they're still still kicking. I mean, both of the I know it's just the two original guys, but they're you know the drummer's still up there doing his thing, and they're, and they're, what a great band! So so I, I, feel, I you know I feel happy for them that they they got like kind of a second um, uh, you know a, a little bit success, albeit in their latter years, but they're still able to kind of go out and and do things and still be a band and and do that. So. Um, you know, I mean, it, it just goes to show you, you know, if you, you're just doing, they did what they loved to do, you know, and they didn't give up, right. you know, they, they yeah. wanted to do what they wanted this more than anything. They, they, they're playing the music they love and, you know, they're not going to give up and they didn't. And they, they were able to, you know, still stick around, uh, you know, albeit maybe right a little bit differently than we have, but, you know, but I think that's it. You know, um, you, if you really have a passion for something, then you have to pursue it. 
I mean, that's why I always tell people, you know, well, well, they always say, well, you know, any advice. And it's like, well, man, if you really love what you're doing and you really want to do this, then you have to give it a shot, you know, because you don't want to look back later on in life and go, man, the what ifs, you know, yeah, I mean, if, as long as you tried and you gave it your all and maybe, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't, you know, but you, but at least you tried, you know, and, and you, you, you tried to follow your dream. And we're just fortunate enough that it was able to work out for us, you know, because I think we're, we're, um, products of the right place at the right time mixed with hard work and luck and all that kind of stuff, you know? Um, so that's all you can do, you know, because life's too short, you know, I think it's, it's, if you have such a strong passion, you have to try to pursue it. Otherwise, you know, you might end up being, uh, you know, miserable later on in life that you didn't give it at least a shot. So, yeah, well, here's the thing, Paul, you gave it the shot and you become recognizable. Right. And, and I don't, you know, we've been friends for a long time. Death metal's not my thing, but I'd go to, I went to a couple shows, but the funny thing is, is in Jimbo, I'll tell you this, the worst job in any restaurant is the dishwasher, right? So I'm at one of the bars I worked at years ago and the dishwasher overhears me saying, I'm, I'm going to the Cannibal Corp show. And he was like, you're, you're going where? I said, yeah, I'm going to the Cannibal Corp show. Uh, the drummer's a buddy of mine from growing up. And, and, and I remember I brought him with me, Polly. He, I brought him on the bus with me and the kid was in total awe of you. Right. And then you fast forward a couple of years ago at O'Daniels. Cause every time Paulie comes to Buffalo, he comes to see me at O'Daniels and he's standing at the bar, having a drink with his dad and the dishwasher is just staring at him. <laughs> right. And I walk back in and now to the dishwasher, I'm just the bartender that tells him what to do. But he says to me, is, is that Paul Mazurkowitz? And I go, yeah. How do you know him? He goes, He's in Cannibal Corpse. I go, no, he's my right winger. <laughs> and he goes, can, can I meet him? He, I go, yeah. You know, so the kid comes out and Paulie, you know, to Paulie's credit, and, and I think you you guys now understand the humility of Paulie. He's just a humble guy. Yeah. You know, grassroots. He comes, he, he never forgets where he comes from. Right. And Paulie just proceeds to talk to the guy, for the kid for like a half hour, just like he's a kid, you know, but, but that's the kind of guy that, as you listened to for the last hour that he's just, just a regular guy, but he's recognizable, you know, and that's, that's beautiful, Paul, that you, like you said, you pursued your dream and now every dishwasher in America and Japan and, <laughs> and, and Europe knows who you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's a great story, Tom. But yeah, I mean, I just feel like, you know, I, I, we're a fans band like that or anybody, we're a personal band, you know, we, 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 you could be us. Anybody could be us. You just by, you know, just by pursuing your dream and right. Doesn't make us better than anybody. It doesn't make us, you know, uh, I, I feel like I'm the same old guy. I feel like I have a duty. Uh, if anything, you know, if you're a fan of our music or, or, you know, want a little advice or you, you like what I do, then I want to talk to you. And I have no problem just, you know, you having a one-on-one because I know how important it is to some people, you know, um, just to be able to talk to somebody um, that they may admire or look up to. And, you know, and I, uh, yeah, I think uh, I just want to kind of give, you know, give back to, you know, to, to people in those ways, you know, just, uh, you know, to give them a word of advice or just a word of, word of encouragement or, or anything like that, or just, you know, just to show, you know, just because we're up there uh, touring the world and we're in one of the biggest death metal bands in the world, it's, you know, it doesn't change who we are as people. And, uh, 
you know, it's, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's crazy, really crazy to think, you know, yeah. it, it's, uh, a you big... know, I, 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 half the time I forget I'm in the band, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I just look at myself as, as a person, you know, I'm just, a, I'm Paul, you know, I, I, I like things that everybody else likes and I got to do everything else that people do. And, you know, I don't look, I don't walk around like I'm, oh, I'm Paul from Campbell Corpse. I remember a few years back actually at the McKinley mall, um, it was a you know a few years ago, and I was I was with my family and everything, and 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 some kid. Uh, it was my my wife, which is my ex wife now, but she ends up saying like, yeah, these kids are looking at you. They want to say something. I go, why? Oh, and I really really for a minute thought like, well, what 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 do they want with me? I don't know these kids. I'm like, oh oh yeah, oh they must know from the channel before. <laughs> you know, I'm just you know, and then I ended up talking to them, and they were just so happy that I sat and talked to them for a few minutes, and they were just like, you know. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's funny how that goes, you know, yeah. we're just, we're just people like everybody else. So we just, you know, happen to have a little success at what we do. So, yeah. And you guys never had to change. There's a lot of bands that like had to, you know, get with the times or the styles. You guys weren't like, oh, we need to get on the radio. You know, you were like, you, we need to drag people to the show. You know, you, they need to see us. They need to feel it sort of right. things. You know, you guys got to keep that for so long. Cause you look at bands, they had to change. They had to, you know, different styles you guys got to be the same and that's what's great about you know i can say about our band and our style of music right i mean we we can look back if it ended today you know or it ended at any time or when it ends you're gonna go we did what we wanted to do we did not compromise we we made it and whatever making it is by doing what we wanted to do as a band you know, with nobody telling us we need to do this, we need to change, we need this, we need that, or whatever, you know. And, and that makes you just feel good as a creative artist, you know, like uh, as a musician, that we can say we really literally did what we wanted to do and did it our way. And everything, the successes that have come to us was just because of that. We didn't have to give in for anybody or anything, you know. So it makes you feel good that you've accomplished something in life that's, you know, that, uh, you know, that you did on your own and, and you, and you, and you, and you became successful at it because of what you did. And it makes you feel good. You know, I, I know we all feel good in that way that right we just did it our way and uh and you, you like it or you leave it you know and uh um yeah so yeah man it's crazy to think that really it is a lot of times and you talked about jim carrey surprising you you were at these festivals in other countries and even in the u.s who who else has surprised you that they're a big cannibal corpse fan i'm sure you've ran into bands or yeah, celebrities or maybe even politicians well, the, the other big one that happened, which would have been, I guess, uh, probably about 20 years ago now, I think it was around 2000, I'm trying to remember the exact dates, 2000, 2001, 2002, somewhere around there. Um, we, um, we were, you know, now we're talking the day, the age of internet and all that kind of stuff, you know, because of course the Ace Ventura thing was before cell phones and anything like that. And, uh, and, uh, you know, to get back on that, that's funny. I just always thought of this one with, uh, before we talk about this next piece, uh, about the whole Ace Ventura thing, because exactly it was before cell phones, before email. So it's not like, oh yeah, we got Jim's email address. We got his phone number. You know, we can talk to him whenever. And, you know, there was none of that. And I remember we had one girl kind of like looking out after us and, you know, we talked to her. I think somebody might've got a number for her or something to keep in contact. But other than that, when we walked away from the whole Ace Ventura thing, it was kind of like, you know, you're, you're, you got nothing, you know, we're just okay. Um, because 
when um, the girl that made our DVD, that that uh, you know the whole centuries of torment, uh, which you guys probably are aware mm-hmm. of, the whole the whole collective piece on the beginning of the bands and everything, she tried to get a hold of Jim, you know, to be a part of this, you know, to no avail because there was just like no way to get a hold of him in a personal setting and everything. So to this day, ever since we left that movie scene, we have no idea. Is Jim still a fan of this music? Does he still like it? Does he does he look back and go, man, what was I thinking? That was a crazy fad I was into, and my gosh, I was just you know insane, or I was on drugs. Who knows? We don't know. You know? <laughs> so yeah. To this day, there has been no contact and no word from anybody around us or him or anything that we to, to know of any of this, you know. So it is kind of crazy to think, oh, and man, it's been so long, but we don't know if Jim cares or, he, you know, or what did he get the last record and is he blasting it out in his truck, car when he's driving or, 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 or does he write? Does he think we're just like, my God, but that was, what was I thinking, you know? So, so it's always that thought in my head, like, wow, what does he, what does he think, you know? We may never know, you know, <laughs> um, but uh, but to take us to the, you know, the question you asked, right, the, the other big thing, I guess, that happened to us was in, like I said, around 2000, somewhere around there, 2001, that our guitar player was uh, um, talking to our record producer at uh, Scott Burns that talked that get our first five records, you know, so um, and I, Scott wasn't doing records at that point with us, but he was still a friend, still be, always became a, uh, with a friend with us. And uh, of course, we're talking just a few years after maybe then he did our last record or two. So so we were in contact with him a lot more. But he was telling Jack Owen, our guitar player, he goes, hey, I've been getting so I got some emails from um, from Elijah Blue Allman shares shares son with uh with greg what allman, uh, yeah. greg allman i think with greg allman shares son with greg allman elijah blue i've been getting you know, a lot of emails from him and he's talking he loves he loves death metal he loves you know all this what's going on you know so so i remember jack for some reason got elijah blue's email through scott and they were they were corresponding for some reason, whatever, just out of like, oh, that's cool. Well, you know, well, I'll, I'll write them and say, you know, okay. So so Jack was a writing Elijah Blue, and Elijah Blue then uh, you know ends up writing to Jack a few times, going, hey man, I would love Cannibal Course. I'd love for you guys to play my birthday party, you know. <laughs> and we're going, yeah, right, of course. This is this is like fast times at Ridgemont High, you know, like uh, you know, kind of you know, Spicoli kind of thing, you know, getting uh, a band to you know play his graduation or whatever his wedding. So we're like, okay, yeah, sure, sure, sure. You know, it sounds that'd be fun. You know, you're not you're not taking it kind of too serious, you know. Well, they corresponded for a little bit longer, and and I guess Elijah kept bringing it up, and he was really he was serious. He was like, "No, I'm serious. I what is it going to take for me to bring Cannibal Corpse to you know California to, to play my birthday party?" You know, so when Jack was telling us this, um, like I said, because this was pre-management for us as well, we're doing all this stuff ourselves. So we told uh, you know Jack, well then, hey. If if he's serious, well then let's let's put out a little offer. You know, we'll, we'll, we have to treat this like it's a show, and we've done some one-off shows at that point. You know, so so we told Jack, okay, write him, tell him, you know, we want uh, you know X amount of dollars. We need this for our guarantee. We need plane tickets to go out there. We need accommodations for you know a, at least a night or two, and you know we're going to need some equipment because you know it's going to be you know we're not going to bring all our gear, all that. It's just too crazy. So, so basically Jack did that and, um, 
it happened. <laughs> we played a lot. We we played Elijah Blue's birthday party in in L.A. in Hollywood, and um, I'll never forget that one too because that's another surreal. It's it's not more surreal than the whole movie situation with Jim Carrey, um, because. It, 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 it was like, okay, he agreed, you know, we'll pay, I'll pay you X amount of dollars, we're going to fly you guys out, we're going to play my birthday party. It was I remember it was his 24th birthday, and he loves Death Mom, he loves Cannibal Corpse, and he wants this to happen. So, okay, so we fly out to, you know, to LA, to, you know, and we're going to play the Viper Room of all places. Wow. Which is like... I know. We're like, man, this is crazy. The Viper Room, you know, we've heard about this. Of course, it's a prestigious small club on, you know, in, in, in Hollywood. And, and, and it's not a very big club at all. I mean, no. you know, and at this point, of course, you know, we're a, we're a band that's went around, what, how long, you know, 20 years now, um, uh, you know, or, or 15 years. We've, we've been a band or... Um, and we're touring and, you know, we got, we, we, we have a fan base and all this, but the Viper room literally holds like about 150, 60 people, you know, it's a small venue, you know? And, um, so, but it's going to be a private birthday party for Elijah, you know? So we end up flying there and we're going to play the Viper room. And I remember, I remember, um, you know, uh, we, we played the show and it ended up being pretty cool and it was a great show and all this. But the whole thing that really got us was the day before we, we flew in. I think it was like two days before the show. We flew in because Elijah said, hey, you guys are going to come to my house, which he was living with Cher at the time, of course. <laughs> and you're, we're going we're gonna to have a birthday party at my mother's house on, in Malibu, you know, and you guys are invited, of course, because you're going to be playing the show the next day. So we were like, this is just crazy. This is insane, you know? So I remember we, I think we, we must have rented cars and had a rental car or something. And we stay, we're staying like in LA or, or in Hollywood. I think we were staying near where we were playing. It's hard to remember the details. But all I do is remember is we all drove to, we drove to, we drove to Malibu and we, we had a birthday party for Elijah Blue at Cher's Malibu mansion. It was, insane dude it was just guys it was crazy it was like here we are we're like we're we're in malibu in Cher's place we're meeting Cher. we're we're hanging around with elijah and he's having this barbecue birthday party and in her house you know we're harmonizing like, happy birthday with Cher. <laughs> It's, it was unbelievable. I know it was, it was unbelievable. I still think back at this It's one of those, like the movie, did this really happen? Did we actually go to Malibu and hang out at Cher's house, you know, and have a party? I, I guess we did, you know, because we got the pictures to prove it and everything. And, and, uh, but it was, it was, it was, it was just insane. Cause that's not our scene, right? You know, we're not a, you know, we're living in Florida, of course, at the time, but it's like, we're not used to hanging out with uh, people like of Cher's magnitude here. And, you know, hanging in these Renaissance style mansions, you know, I mean, it was just it was it was it was so surreal and so crazy. And then we ended up playing the show and Cher came to the show. I mean, it's still kind of crazy to think that that Cher actually watched us play, you know, what, whatever she thought of. She probably was like our parents growing up thinking, like, what the heck is my son into, you know, here? And uh, but she ended up coming to the show and she watched and, you know, we had some crazy, you know, celebrities there. I remember Cameron Diaz was there and 
um, because it was like more of a private party for for him. And they only they they opened it up to the public for like twenty five tickets, I think it was, you know. And um, you know, so it was a it was a very different, whole different situation for us. But but man, I, I'll I'll never forget that because that was such a such a, a surreal moment in our our career and our lives that 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 happened. That's and, incredible. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, yeah, unbelievable. I'll so connect it for that you, Paulie. Second biggest thing. <laughs> so the Almonds uh, were one of the first bands to play the Sky Room. You were one of the last ones, and Greg and Cher went to rehab in South Buffalo <laughs> in in the in the I, late seventies, early eighties. So. I remember reading that. That's ironic that you're mentioning that too, because I remember reading about that when I was up in Buffalo. I think I read about it last year, as a matter of fact, because the last time I've been to Buffalo was about a year from now, uh, in this in July. And I remember reading the whole story how they they ended up playing, how they came and played the they played a school uh, auditorium as well. And uh, you know, I mean, so yeah, crazy that that we have that slight connection of sorts that Cher was actually in Buffalo for a little bit of time. Yeah. So little ir- irony there, you know. So <laughs> there's all these I banners. Know, I know, like there's all these banners up in the uh, the lofts at uh, the sky room. I'll have to see if cannibal corpse is there. And if not, I'm protesting. <laughs> uh, you can yeah, all, that, it, that would be a big protest. Cause uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, we, I, I know we, I know we closed it out in 91 with a couple of other Buffalo bands there. Um, it was us Baphomet. Um, I believe it was zero tolerance and, um, why can't I think of the other Buffalo band, a hardcore band that really did well? Not every time I die. It was another band that, oh, Snapcase. Okay, yeah, yeah, there you go. Snapcase. Yeah, because you know it was kind of like you know two 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 death metal bands, two hardcore bands that were really making their mark in you know and in the world basically or or what have you or at least nationally and you know that that came from Buffalo. So so that was uh, I remember that was a really cool thing that we. Uh, you know, we ended up uh, closing out the Skyrim in '91 like that. So, yeah. I mean, we could talk. Yeah, we must protest. We could talk. Yeah, we should protest. But we could talk about how the music industry's changed and stuff for hours and whatever. But you know, oh, look, yeah. looking at it now, like you look on Spotify, like you guys have 14 million monthly listeners. Like you guys standed the test of time, and it is incredible. It's impressive. And you know, Tommy here, when he texted us, he's like, "Hey, I know Paul Maz. You know, Tommy's always helped us out and." Man, this is incredible. Right. I'm really impressed, and this is something I really never thought, you know, well, as far be as in our wheelhouse here. As far as I'm concerned, you know, knowing Polly for uh, most of my life and uh, how I think back about all of our memories and, and hockey and stuff like that, now, because of this, etched in my memory, is that uh, links together for eternity are Paul Mazurkowitz and Cher. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, guys, it's been great. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, I yeah. mean, you know, uh, great, great to talk to fellow Buffalonians. Great to reconnect with Tommy. Of course, like always, brother. And uh, you know, I know we could be talking for you know for probably days. Actually, you know, with with everything we've gone through in the whole music scene, and it is incredible. Like I said, just to here we are, thirty year, thirty plus years going on. What thirty? 31 years, 32 years of the existence of the band and, you know, the fact that we're still doing it and still relevant, like you were saying, they're looking at the numbers of Spotify. And I mean, it's just, you know, like I said, every day I still, you know, am, am amazed 
by the things we have accomplished and that we're still here to, today doing it. And I mean, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. So uh, I'm very fortunate, very, very, very fortunate that, uh, you know, that I've uh, been a part of this and, and to have made a living doing, you know, what I started as a teenager and all that. It's just, you know, it's so many, it's so hard to find words, you know, to describe so many things. So. Well, Paulie Mazurkowitz from, from Drywall to the top selling death metal band of all time, you are now licensed to talk, Paulie. Oh, man. That's amazing, guys. Amazing. Right. Well, Thank you so much for having me. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, Thanks for, for the chat. Time. Thanks, Paulie. Take care, brother. All right, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thanks again, guys. It's been great talking to you. All right. I'll, call, I'll talk to you soon, Paul. All right, Tommy. I'll talk to you. All right, Mark. Thank, All right, guys. Thank you so much. It. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me.